we can't address these issues without data and the sharing of data. Without FinTech, we'll never be able to hold banks accountable. You know, we need things like satellite technology, internet of things, AI, big data crunching, to really be able to pinpoint where emissions are coming from. Coming to you live from Hong Kong FinTech Week, this is the Crypto Savvy Podcast from the Hashkey Group, bringing you the essentials. Everything you need to know about the world of crypto in one place with our host, Walter Jennings. Chronicling the changes in finance and technology isn't easy, but James DiBiasio has been on the beat for decades. He's a dedicated finance journalist who went from traditional publications like Asian Investor to new technologies like DigFin Media. Learn more about the evolution of finance and the evolution of reporting on finance with my next guest on Crypto Savvy. Welcome to Crypto Savvy. I'm Walter Jennings with Hashkey Group, and joining me in the podcast booth is James DiBiasio. He's the founder and editor of DigFin, a leading publication covering digital finance, fintech, and digital assets in Asia. James has been a financial journalist in Hong Kong since 1997, arriving from New York. In 2000, he founded Asian Investor the region's top asset managed publication, and led it for many years. He is the first journalist in Asia Pacific to be honored for outstanding contribution to institutional journalism in State Street's Institutional Press Awards. He also wrote the book Cowries to Crypto, the story of money, currency, and wealth. Welcome to Crypto Savvy, James. Thanks, Walter. It's great to be here. Yeah, it's great to be here. We're kind of at the closing of day two of FinTech Week. It's been a very exciting time. Everyone's just happy to be in a setting together physically. There's a lot of hybrid nature to the event, which I think a lot of it is working well. But I think people are just excited to be together. Yeah, no, and it certainly has. Uh, you've been able to feel the energy of the numbers of people who have been coming by and the interest in in understanding more about financial technology. So, James, every hero has a genesis story. Tell me about your start in the fintech industry. When I was still an Asian investor, and I didn't know anything about technology in finance, uh, I remember reading about this funny product that Alibaba was was hustling called Yue Bao, which was their money market fund that was hoovering up all the excess escrow money in uh, their e-commerce site. Of course, at the time, I couldn't have even, even told you that. And, and I remember just saying to people, this is, you know, this is nuts. This is not going to go anywhere because they had their money market fund that had gone to become the biggest in the world, surpassing anything uh, by JP Morgan or, or anybody else. And uh, of course, I just was totally ignorant. And I, I look back at that and I, I kind of chuckle. My start with fintech was the launching of digfin which uh, is almost five years now it went live uh, in march of 2017 and i did that not knowing anything about fintech and certainly really not knowing anything about crypto but seeing that there was all this excitement bubbling up and i think it had already begun in the u.s and it was now coming to Asia and everybody was talking about it. And I had, uh, I had left my, my old jobs after many, many years on, on good terms. I took a, I took a break um, yep. and came back to Hong Kong looking for something to do. And I thought if I'm going to stay in media, which is a tough gig, and if I wanted to stay in financial media, then I needed to do something that was interesting. And where's the change happening? And it's about digitization. And so I said, if I'm going to do something, 
this has to be it. There's nothing else I'd want to do. Okay, now I'm familiar with Digfin, but our audience members may not be. Can you yeah. introduce us to sure. Digfin? It's, it's a very simple thing. It's just a website, digfingroup.com, and I interview banks, insurance companies, asset managers, exchanges, fintechs of all stripes, uh, and technology vendors, VCs, about who's doing what in digital finance primarily in the region, or it might be a global story, but some relevance to people in, in Asia. I'm based in Hong Kong. I've been here for a long time, and I've traveled all over the region, so that's, that's where I, I play. It's just old-fashioned journalism. It's just actually taking the time to go beyond press releases and talk to people about what's going on and try to understand their business model and explain what's going on because we're inundated with, with you know, press releases and information and... We also have now, uh, actually since I've begun, things like Substack, uh, where you've got industry experts that are sharing in-depth information, but you don't have the traditional business media, which is where I came from, seems to have kind of abandoned a lot of this stuff. They, it's just now trying to get hits. Um, and I wanted to go for depth and understanding. Right. Now, Jame, I think you're doing yourself a little bit of, of a disservice when you say you're just a website because it, it, it really is, a, I guess, a e-journalism or it's the equivalent of, a, of an online magazine. It's, yeah. Uh, it's, you've got a regular series of columns. You've got, a, you've got regular distribution. You know, what is Digfin today? Digfin today is two things. So on the front end, it's it's the journalism that you see and me talking to people about what's going on. I do some video podcasts as well, and so I'm trying to do multimedia. But my I'm a writer, so of course I'm, I'm most comfortable, I guess, in that milieu. But I enjoy the the one on ones and on Zoom and so on, uh, and I do a lot of work on stage as well. And then the other side is I help clients, so I help people sometimes with uh, you know, on a white label basis, uh, writing for them or creating content for them or they leverage the Digfin brand to do webinars or find other ways to connect to the people they want to connect to. So I can bring people together in the professional fintech and finance space and in a knowledgeable but independent way. And people really like that. Um, I should also mention that uh, I sold the business this year. I want to come to that in a minute, but uh, first off, in the interest of full disclosure, I do want our audience to know that uh, we have uh, worked with you before yeah. on a white-label basis and uh, really valued your insights and your I information. So um, you had started Digfin four years ago, and it has steadily grown. Tell us about the, the population you serve. So my readers, the audience, is primarily fairly senior people in digital banking, fintech, and crypto, primarily in Hong Kong and Singapore, where I have like the biggest numbers, because that's, you know, it's my home market. Uh, those are my home markets. And the types of clients that I work for would be banks, fintechs, crypto companies, um, and I guess the traditional vendor space. So I'm open to working for anybody who wants to reach this audience. So a year or two ago, when you'd come to an event like this, you would have come really with your reporter hat on um, and writing stories for your audience. That's right. How often do you publish? About three times a week, sometimes more, depending on how busy it is. But I try to do three times a week, which is not always enough, but 
you try to do a good job with these stories and they can take some time. So I'd rather do less and better than just try to give people stuff that isn't really that interesting. Yeah, well, I'm finding as a new podcast host that the schedule of publication is a challenge, but actually sometimes you've got more content than the publication uh, allows. It's triage. It's, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm in that situation right now, but it's conference season. People are making a lot of announcements. There's a lot going on. It's super busy. And uh, I've got I've got content more than I can process. So that's a good problem to have. Yeah, no, it's a great problem to have when you've got too many good speakers. You've got too many interesting stories to cover. Now, Hong Kong FinTech Week 2021, what have been some of the kind of stories that have kind of stuck with you after the first two days? So I've been engaged mostly in my own projects here. I haven't had that much time to sit and just be in the audience. But when I look around at who's here, uh, who's got booths, who's doing what, there's an awful lot in the blockchain and crypto side, much more than you would have had in the past. So that's exciting. Yeah, there are about three or four uh, digital asset exchanges represented here. Yep. So it's um, uh, that's certainly been a, a good growth area. Yeah, big growth area. And I enjoy doing the project with Hashkey and I have a few others, you know, from the blockchain space that I've, I've done work for. So intellectually, it's, it's an interesting place to be. And I also am glad to see that ESG and sustainable investment themes are also beginning to take root. I'm a big proponent of that. And uh, I work on that stuff. I'm also on the board of directors for the um, FinTech Association of Hong Kong. And so they're uh, I guess my, my pet project internally is to help match fintech with ESG. And that covers a whole wide range of technologies, including the blockchain space, but not limited. And I, I just feel that the only way that we can achieve meaningful, sustainable finance is through the application of digital technology at a wide scale, which means digitalization and banks, that digital transformation journey. I think they're still at the beginning stages when you consider the vast needs that we're going to have to create effective finance that's sustainable. And we, we need desperately the financial system to help with this. So it's not about bashing anybody, but it is about data, provenance. All this stuff is super important if we want to get accountability and get rid of greenwashing. Yeah, no, we've uh, even done a sustainability audit of our own booth here to understand the, the impact we had uh, even in the creation of our presence here. So I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it really is part of the, the experience. But you said you've been involved with your own ventures. Now, Digfin, founded in 2017, you had some momentous news most recently. Well, I'm very fortunate that I was able to sell the business to uh, AMTD, which is a Hong Kong-based investment banking group. The chairman, Calvin Choi, I've known him since really I started this, and he's been very interested in working with Digfin in some way, really from the straight out of the out of the gates. And they have businesses in investment banking, asset management, insurance brokerage, and then they have a an investments arm and a strategic arm, and they have been taking stakes in fintech companies. So, for example, Policy Pals and InsureTech in Singapore, they they acquired that business in 2020. They've got some other stakes in a variety of other fintech uh, businesses around the region, and they're looking to grow. And they see digital media as part of that vital ecosystem. And so they want to grow it. And I sold the business because, I mean, I was already at the point where I could sustain myself. It was really, I had a team, I lost a lot of money, learned how badly I've been doing things, reconfigured the business as more of a personal 
project to, to work for me. That was successful. But then how do you grow it? You know, when you're like a so-called solopreneur, how do you get out of being, which is basically a gig economy worker. How do you get out of that and, and make it something bigger? You know, you need, you need help. You need some capital. You need some friends. So uh, I'm looking forward to working with AMTD to help grow Digfin. Obviously, they, they bought it because they see some potential and they want to turn it into something a lot bigger. So over time, we will be adding resource. Well, the theme of Hong Kong FinTech Week this year is scaling FinTech futures together. So obviously, you're a perfect case study where you're able to expand the impact of DigFin together with AMTD. Yeah, you can't. And all these business models, embedded finance, open banking, everything now is, is about putting pieces together in a collaborative way. Uh, I mean, in my case, AMTD, just, they wanted to, to, to buy it and, and, and own it. That, that was fine by me. Uh, but but in many cases, it's it's not about buying and acquiring and and having a maybe maybe some equity stake, but really it's about that partnering. And we've seen banks really beginning to change. They're going much more towards open source. They're appreciating what that means. They realize that they can't do this transformation by themselves. There's just no way. And they need the help of the fintechs. And the fintechs, there's some that are now very, very big, and they will be challengers to the banks directly. But most of them, I think, realize that they need to find their space here and figure out ways to, to also create their own ecosystems. They have to partner too. So it's, I, I think that's really positive. And down the tracks, I think what things like DeFi and decentralized autonomous organizations uh, these are still very nascent, but you know they have the potential to create a very different, much more open, modular way of doing business across the board, and I, I think that's that's exciting. With the backing of AMTD, what does the future hold for Digfin? Well, I mean, I, I hope just to do more. You know, uh, put some more bums in seats so that we, you know, <laughs> right now it's really still just me, and and I, I like it. And I'm able to juggle a lot of balls, but. You know, at some point, I'd rather be able to focus my own energies on working with clients, doing the writing, doing the, the, the thought leadership stuff, and, uh, and then have the support to do uh, all the other aspects of the business. You know, there, there's plenty, there's so much to do, and, you know, you get to a point where you need a team. Yeah, no, the um, ability to expand your impact through the effective deployment of resources is, uh, uh, should never be underrated. Yeah, yeah, so it's, you know, you, you need help. Now, James, you're also the author of the book, Cowries to Crypto. Tell me about the, the book and when was it published? Cowries to Crypto was written in a feverish period of about three months in mid-2019. And it took a little while to actually then get published. But the uh, Oanda, which is uh, itself, I guess you could call them a fintech, uh, they specialize in bringing technology for retail investors to play in the foreign exchange space. Uh, they've been around a long time. And they, they commissioned the book and they what they wanted was not necessarily what they got because I really just took the ball and ran with it. They wanted something a lot briefer. And I was like, nope, this is my opportunity. <laughs> this is it. So I, I really wanted to. Do, so I did a deep dive. I was uh, I was really uh, immersed and I did it because a, it's just interesting uh, and it was a lot of fun, but also. You know, with things like the emergence of Bitcoin and crypto, it's like, how do you understand how to place this in the, the, the narrative of the human story? Like, what is this about? What's going on? How should I think about this? Is it all just a giant Ponzi scheme or is this the next form of money or, you know, where on that spectrum does this sit? So it for me became I, I had a job to do, but really what I wanted to do was understand where are we today based on the history of money throughout all civilizations 
over the course of you know the past 5,000 years. So you're looking at the evolution of anything that has been a store of value. Well, I mean, money is more than just a store of value. It's oh. a means of account. It's a means of facilitating payments um, and a store of value. So it's got three classic attributes. And, and so Bitcoin fails on, on, uh, if, you, if you want to have it be all three. But it's, it, it has evolved and it's become more and more abstract. So it used to be like ingots, right? Or coins and then banknotes and then plastic. It's gone electronic and now it's, you know, it's, it's now we're in the crypto era. And that abstraction has gone along with sophistication. The more abstract it seems that the more we can do with it and the more it does embed itself in our lives. And now we talk about embedded finance like everybody talks about it. It's a, it's a buzzword. But, you know, it, it, it's been building up to this. And my, my, my conclusion is, is sort of like money is us. You know, it's one of the key components of civilization. And it's something that is becoming increasingly personal to the point with biometrics, AI, facial recognition, all the stuff and and perhaps some of the the tricks of, of DeFi and whatnot you know we could become ourselves just walking cyborg portfolios that you know with the right passwords and the right credentials we can exchange you know credit and portfolio information about ourselves and you may not even need a phone you know maybe you just your eyeballs will be your means of payment or some chip that uh, Elon Musk stuck in your skull and you know, and then and, and you just walk around, you know, buying stuff. I don't know, but I think we're not there yet. That's obviously pretty much science fiction. But, you know, you, you can see that I, I think that we're money is becoming more and more intangible, but more sophisticated and more more and more part of our, our, our lives. I mean, gaming, right? Gaming is now becoming this this financial ecosystem. It's no longer just buy a subscription to play a game. It's go into the game buy an asset and then you can port that asset outside of the game you can trade that you could even in the extremes you know maybe use it as collateral to go invest so this is this is maybe a little extreme but it's happening this is this is real life now so money's evolving and you've been tracking the history all the way from the the seashells to now coming up a, a, a hot topic during today's conference has been CBDC or central bank digital currency and Asia seems to be again leading in so many ways in that area. I think that's because countries here for the different reasons see this as a way to leapfrog. They've grown up in under the the US led call it Bretton Woods system I guess. And so some countries might want to use this to try to see can they create some extra sovereign space for themselves. And that varies depending on who they are. I think in the West, there will still be use cases for central bank digital currencies, uh, but they might be different use cases. So, for example, during the 2008 financial crisis, followed by then the Eurozone crisis, or even now actually with COVID is an even better example, distributing cash to people has been monumentally inefficient, going through banks and, and so on. And, you know, if, if the central bank was able simply to airdrop bucks into your phone, then boom, you know, you, you could get an instant consumer stimulus uh, and, and so on without a lot of the, the hassle and also get rid of a lot of the 
the intermediaries and perhaps some of the corruption and so on, you know, you could track the money. Now, of course, that then leads to issues around like, well, how private is this and what are you doing with that information? So it's not like simple, but, you know, you can see there's a use case for central banks to be able to supervise financial flows in real time and so on. I think another another potential use case in the developed world that I think would be interesting is we're seeing now banks just beginning to use these blockchain consortia, these enterprise blockchain consortia, to do things like trade finance and digitize the trade finance or supply chain finance flows. And a big reason they're doing it is to combat fraud. Banks will always get burned by people uh, using the same collateral twice or taking out too many loans. And they had no way of actually ever knowing before. Now they, they can start to, if you share within an approved club, you, you can share enough information that you, you can tell that a, somebody might be trying to pull that kind of game. And if you think about the, the Archegos um, scandal last year the, uh, in Wall Street where you had this family office run by Bill Huang that, was, that, that basically played all the big prime brokers and was, again, it was clearly collateralizing things multiple times. And then we had billions of dollars of losses for all these big Wall Street firms. Um, you know, if they had a way to understand where these credit risks lie in a way that protects uh, privacy to a degree, I think, you know, there's blockchain solutions that could be very relevant if people see the value of, of adopting them. I, that's a long way off. I don't see prime brokers rushing to open their books. But, um, but you can see the potential for this stuff to make finance safer but it's it's a give and take. Yeah. So the future is in the digit the continued digitization of finance. Oh, absolutely. That's not going to stop. Okay. And what are some of the the uh, the trends that you're currently following on Digfin? What are some of the, the the bigger picture trends that our listeners need to be paying attention to? It's kind of hard because there's so many. Okay. Give us two or three. Well, CBTCs has been something I've been writing about a lot. I've been f- profiling. So the uh, let me go back. The, the MAS, the Monetary Authority of Singapore, held this challenge, uh, a global challenge for use cases for retail CBC, CBDCs. In other words, we could invent it, but what would we do with it? Like, what's the point? And they got 15 finalists from around the world, banks, fintechs, uh, and so on, uh, payments companies. And I've been interviewing uh, a bunch of them and like, what is your use case? Like, what is this good for? And I've been impressed by the variety of use cases that they have developed. So that's that's been really interesting to see that, you know, there's there's interesting things that people are coming up with. Some of them are conceptual, some of them are more brass tacks. Another big theme is well, I guess the ESG stuff is something that I find important, so I try to do that. I try not to use acronyms, ESG. Oh, I'm sorry. Environmental, social, and governance factors. So it's creating a way to think about risk using factors that are not just traditional balance sheet, cash flow, financial Got metrics, but, but metrics around sustainability. So, for example, you're an oil company. You want to drill for more oil, or you want to go dig more coal. Well you might be at risk of that becoming a stranded asset. A stranded asset is an asset that you, you know, you dump all your money to build and then it turns out to be worthless because the situation has changed and people no longer want it or it's illegal to use it or something. So, you know, so how do you factor that risk in? And that, that's a that's a, a very 
simplistic, extreme example. But ESG is very complicated. My interest is primarily on the, the E, the environmental side, because social and governance are important, but they vary, I think, really market to market. Um, people have different cultural norms. Climate change affects all of us. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're Asian or Western. Yeah, I know we're in the midst of the COP26 talks, and uh, they've just recently concluded. And now you're talking about its implications and applications in the finance industry. Yeah, so there's been a big push led by the by governments and by some of the big, uh, by the UN and by some very large institutional investors to push for more disclosure, to push for norms so that companies have to announce their their carbon footprint. Analysts have to take that into account. They have to decide what that means for the risk of this company. They also have to, you know, there's shareholder pressure now for people to reorient the way they do business. How can you still have a, a profitable business or a profitable good, you know, a good return on your portfolio without just investing blindly in companies that are, you know, doing the wrong thing. But it's very difficult since the Paris Agreement, which was this global accord around, basically the Paris Agreement was about five or six years ago, when we realized that temperature changes, global temperature changes over the next decade, if they go above 1.5% Celsius, we're in trouble. So we can sort of, even with 1.5% rise, it's not great, but we can manage it. Beyond that, it gets difficult. And we're nowhere on track. MSCI, the big index group, just came out with a report that said of their global index companies, these are all the listed companies around the world, only 10% of those companies currently operate in alignment with this Paris Accord goal. And we've seen also since Paris Accord uh, about $157 billion worth of bank loans and capital markets facilitations have gone to companies that are destroying forests around the world. So these banks all will tell you that they're interested in, oh, they've got some new cool technology that will take care of all these problems. It's not true. Well, it's not, okay, it's not not true, but it's one tiny sliver of what needs to be done. So this is what I consider greenwashing. So this is where fintech comes in because we can't address these issues without data and the sharing of data. There's a lot of legal stuff on top of it. Fintech by itself can't do it. But without fintech, we'll never be able to hold banks accountable and really know, or, or the listed companies or the private companies. Uh, we, we, you know, we need things like satellite technology, Internet of Things, AI, big data crunching, and blockchain for particularly for provenance uh, to really be able to pinpoint where emissions are coming from and figure out how are we going to, in some cases, maybe have to punish. But really what we want to do is how do we change the game for these people so that they have the right incentives and the right investments to change their business so we don't have to rely on fossil fuels and we can, we can electrify most of our activity. Okay, so CBDC, ESG. Uh, one more trend that you're looking at at the moment? I would say all the big segments have their, their name. InsureTech is really hot, and RegTech is really hot. InsureTech, just because in Asia, particularly in Southeast Asia and India, you've just got these vast populations that are becoming able to not only afford insurance, but also with, with InsureTech and digitization, you can serve, you can scale and serve them with things that they never had access to before in a way they can afford it. And people need insurance cover. Uh, and small businesses and so on. So that's that's exciting. 
and uh, and regtech is regulatory technology. So that is technology to help banks and regulators do a better job in compliance, anti-money laundering, know your customer rules, all the real boring stuff. Although it's super boring, this is what occupies most of the time of financial institutions. I mean, all the people they have in all those offices and all those glass towers are most of them are doing stuff related around identity checks, who are you, paperwork, reconciling things. And, you know, it's very costly for the banks and it's very difficult for them to keep track of it. It's still very manual, paper based, room for a lot of error. And, you know, the, the more of this you can automate and you need intelligent um, you know, AI tools on top to make sense of it, the more you can do, the more you can scale in a much more sustainable and, uh, and, and efficient manner. James, uh, when we look for you on Digfin, it's digfin.com? It's digfingroup.com. Apologies, digfingroup.com. What are some of the projects that uh, you're looking forward to looking at with the backing of AMTD? So we just finished our first, uh, yesterday at the F Hong Kong FinTech Association, we announced our first batch of awards uh, we ever did for banking, payments, and capital markets. We had over 100 submissions for about 20 awards. Uh, we had, you know, really great quality names, and we did uh, we did a celebration for them uh, at, at the AMTD booth. That was a lot of fun. And we had it was a hybrid. It was our own hybrid event. But so we had people on the floor, and then we had people dialing in via a Zoom link from around the world. So more of that sort of thing. I think more just being able to engage and, and maybe be a little more methodical about building out relationships with with different uh, fintechs and, and startups. More research. I'd like to be able to do research for people and, and more content stuff, both for our own audience and also for, for clients. Well, thank you very much for taking the time during a very busy two days here at Hong Kong Fintech Week. Too. Walter, it's been a pleasure. I appreciate the invitation. It's very kind of you. Yeah, no, look, um, as I said at the outset, Crypto Savvy is a fairly new podcast, but we're trying to help raise awareness around the issues in finance and technology and around digital assets and, and help people increase their awareness and we find through education people have less misconceptions and and they're making fact-based decisions so it's useful to hear your voice and to have that uh, participating in this well i hope it helped i hope your listeners find it interesting and thank you listeners for uh, spending a half hour with us and thank you for joining us today on crypto savvy our guest today has been james DiBiasso from digfin group and we are thankful for his time Thank you to you, our listeners, for joining us on Crypto Savvy. I'm Walter Jennings with Hashkey Group. Author, journalist, entrepreneur, James DiBiasio has given us great perspective on the history of money as well as current events in fintech today here in Hong Kong. If you're listening to us on Apple Podcasts, please give us a five-star rating. And wherever you get your podcasts, hit like, hit subscribe, and share with your friends. I'm Walter Jennings with Hashkey Group, and you're listening to Crypto Savvy. Thank you for listening to Crypto Savvy, the podcast that delivers the essentials, brought to you by Hashkey Group. <laughs>